Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with Animal Dermatology Clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. Thanks for coming to another episode of the Derm Vet Podcast. Today, I am joined by my good friend, Dr. Ashley Detweiler, who practices with Pittsburgh Veterinary Dermatology in Pennsylvania. We talk about flea allergy and some of the frustrations discussing this topic with clients, but also the really cool way that ectoparasite control has changed over the last five years. I hope you're able to take away some fun and educational nuggets from our conversation and apply it to your practice right away. Right, you guys, thank you so much for coming to another episode of the podcast. I'm really excited. I'm always excited to have my fellow Derm Nerd friends on, but I'm really excited to have Dr. Ashley Detweiler on the podcast today. We have actually been trying to do this for a few months, um, but you know, life is crazy on both ends. So I'm so happy to finally make it possible to have her on. Um, even if it's after a long day of work, we Yay. are here for you. Um, so yeah. So Ashley, thank you so much for coming yeah, on. Thank you for podcast. having me. I'm so excited. I know it's been too long trying to coordinate this. <laughs> that is life. <laughs> I'm giving up all expectations, uh, recently besides a viral pandemic, just in general, like it's crazy times, especially with spring allergies for us right now. So I was actually thinking about this. So we were in separate residency programs, but around we were the same year together in residency do you remember when we actually first met was it at NABDF? Um, I think so but I know I contacted you specifically by name because I was having um formatting difficulties with a project and a report <gasps> <laughs> That's right. I totally yeah. forgot about that. I just was sitting, getting on, and I was like, when did we first meet? Yeah. I totally I mean, I forgot about big, that. Yeah, I guess we're, yeah we were, I mean, we're all in big rooms and we're like, we meet everybody at the events and stuff. But, and I was from a residency in the Northeast and, or Midwest, and you were from like, you know, the California group. So we had like kind of different circles, if you will, of like regions. But um, no, I, by name, more so met you through like resident, helping resident kind of stuff. <laughs> We're all in this together, even if we hadn't met face to face yet. I'm glad you remember that. I, I totally that, like, forgot about that. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, case reports. Oh. Yeah, we're happy to be done with that. So I'm really happy to have you on when we talked about kind of like what topic is important, um, you know, for the listeners and in something that we deal with all the time, something that came up a lot. And I know you deal with a lot and you've practiced in various different locations, um, probably, especially I would assume your family or friends down in like Florida, like you probably really have issues. Yeah, with ectoparasites. But we struggle just like general practitioners struggle as far as flea allergies and ectoparasites. So that was kind of a topic that we thought would be really good to go over because we get the frustrated clients and the difficult cases just like anybody else, even as specialists. So 
let's talk, start really simple. Um, and knowing that most allergic pets can have multiple types of allergies. We're just zooming in on flea allergies. So knowing that environmentally allergic dogs and can often be flea allergic and we can have other clinical signs that can happen. If you see a predominantly flea allergic dog, we'll start with dog and then go to cats. What clinical signs are you specifically looking for? In I like a recent description I heard for dogs with flea allergy um, that you need to see that they have flea allergy pants on. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I think it's hilarious because one of my nephews is nicknamed pants, but anyway. Um, and so, like a dog is wearing <laughs> pants. So like they probably chewed the hair off of their tail and their legs and their rump. And so like, just like if you put pants on a dog, um, it would be all the area under the pants that would be affected uh, or could be affected. But most commonly, of course, would be around the tail base or at the like uh, start of the tail and then on the back, um, like on their back towards the tail. So in that region, um, that's where we like to flea comb at first, but I flea comb everywhere just in case. yeah. So I go for pants for the dog for 200, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I like that. What I always tell owners, if I'm really worried, that's the big thing is if, if I'm going to steal pants, but I have said, uh, if you put a belt on your dog, how much, what percentage um. of chicken, uh, chicken. Oh my God. Licking, chewing, itching. You know, I don't like to just say itch cause people just think like scratching with their back leg. Yeah. So yeah, they don't itch, but they're hairless. Um, so I say how, what degree, like what percentage of that is behind a belt if you put it on your dog, but <laughs> I like the better. Okay. Well, we could, we can trade off. That's fine. <laughs> we'll steal from each other. That's what Durham's about. Absolutely. Collaboration. Uh, so how do you find that different in cats? Do you put pants on cats or what do you uh, I feel like I describe cats, definitely not as small dogs. Cats do their own thing. They read their own book. They don't read our books. Um, I think I, I've seen cats kind of be more equal opportunists. They will scratch or chew or pull hair out almost from anywhere, but I feel like around their neck and head um, is a popular area. And I read somewhere uh, another dermatologist was saying, oh, it's because, um, you know, because the cat's over groomed so much that a flea has figured out that they should go to the top of the cat instead of the lower part of the cat. And I was like, is a flea really figuring that out? But I mean, a flea is going to (laughs) evade the system, right? And if the belly and the legs are getting groomed so much, because cats do that, then maybe the fleas go north, they go towards the head. So um, I, I comb everywhere on a flea for sure. I do always hit the tail and I always hit over the, the lower back, just like a dog, but I found fleas causing problems around the neck or they're just scratching at the neck. Um, so I've seen that. Or yeah, belly same. Well. I think cats, if I see cats like still have that dorsal lumbal sacral belly, I, I mean, I just think cats in general, psh, huh you know, we fight the indoor cat battle and they don't go outside. Why would they be on it too? But I just feel like cats in general need to be on ectoparasite control. They're just so sensitive. I don't feel they like they're the as classic to show us those lesions though. They can, I've just seen cats diffusely attack themselves and been able to rule out. It's predominantly flea allergy. Uh, 
what do you do with the indoor cat saga? Do you get a lot of clients who are just like, well, they're indoor. Like, how do you? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think it, I think it's a huge issue. We do have a lot of clients that in a multi-cat household for the most part, or a dog cat household have thought about it or consider it or do flea prevention or ectoparasite prevention in the season, in the warm season. But I've, I tell clients every time I see an itchy cat and dog that when I was in my residency in Michigan, there would be four feet of snow and we would still get fleas inside the house um, because either the human or the dog or somebody has gone outside or had some sort of exposure um, to these jumping fleas and they've come inside. Um, we point out, of course, rooms that have not been frequented, you know, and then um, let's say somebody moves into a new home uh, that an animal used to live in, you know, so we definitely go through the history about did the cat or dog used to live in um, a different house and then you moved and then the problem started, you know, because there could be a flea infestation from another animal. Um, you know, just the one time the cat also gets out in the backyard or went to the vet's office or got groomed, you know, yeah. it's those, those moments that could make a big shift for these animals. So we try to maintain the year round flea exposure. At least I do in a conversation uh, especially when a dog is in the house with the cats. It's, it can be a tough one. I say very similar things to you. What I tell owners is that, so, you know, we joke about flea Nile in, in dogs and cats that owners, unless they really see them, which I don't understand why yeah, owners want to see them. Like I'm like, it's called flea prevention. Yeah. Like do right. you want to wait until you see thousands of fleas <laughs> on your pet? Um, but I think with flea Nile, uh, I just tell owners like doors open. It's same with pollens, like doors open, windows open. Like, you know, we're not living in isolated right. bubbles. People bring things in. Um, fleas don't see the door frame and say, oh, I can't come indoors. <laughs> Actually, my one of my favorite things when I used to practice in Orange County, California, which this is one of the jokes I tell when I lecture. So now I'm giving away like all of my funny stuff. So when people see me lecture, they're gonna be like, I already heard that. But I, yeah, they're like, you're not that funny. You just tell the same jokes um, that I kid you not when I was working in Orange County um, and listen, I love my time there. I'm not, there's, there's different people everywhere, but I had a client. I, it was like a clearly, 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 clearly like flea allergic dog. And, um, I think I actually might've ended up finding fleas on the dog, but I, when we were going through the history and I was talking about it, the owner told me that there's no way she has fleas. Cause she lives in a yes. community. <laughs> I know I didn't know I'm Midwest. So like, I was just like, Oh, I don't think that's the case. Uh, I don't think the flea sees the gate and I'm puts on the bricks. Like, yeah, that's. I'll never beat that one. That was, I've heard a lot, but that was a new one for me. Um, so I think that's helpful just to relate to the owner. I also like to tell owners, especially, and we'll talk a little bit about some of the newer flea products that are out there. The benefit now is we have products that rule out a lot of things for us besides just fleas. Like we, I've started seeing ectoparasite control more because then I'm also ruling out, you know, mites and other things that can cause these pets to be itchy. And I also tell owners, I want the easy things ruled out first. So if that's you exactly how months, I say it when we're talking about fleas. It's not just the flea conversation anymore because the 
products have changed. And so you have more of the parasite prevention, the true, ecto, like a, a list of ectoparasites that you can prevent and rule out because there's some that you can't even find easily on these itchy patients. And so I'm like, I can see a flea. Let me comb, comb, comb. I can find it. But we'll find the flea dirt in the flea comb, which is super fun. I love finding flea dirt in the flea comb. But um, when I can't find another parasite, I'm like, hey, doesn't mean it's not there, you know? So absolutely. I think it changes the conversation in our favor to rule out all ectoparasites. And it's something that there's a, a possibility if that is the only reason that pet's itchy, that uh, you might be done seeing me after like I two visits. I was making tonight. I mean, I had notes. I was like, okay, let me write a little love note to myself. And it was like, do you really... It was like, do you really want to spend money on seeing me if you can prevent this with ectoparasite control? But I love you, but you don't want to see me forever. <laughs> you know, I yeah, like you, you exactly. have a chance. We've we've succeeded. <laughs> it's like when I find scabies, and I'm and they're like, oh, gross. I'm like. I mean, okay, I get where you're coming from, but you're one of the like 5% of people or pets I can like that I can cure. Like I can't cure much. I can manage a lot. I can't cure much, but you could be one of the lucky ones. Um, so that's great. So talking about products and in the way that they have changed, you know, and listen, there's tons of brands, like there's tons of different really great products. We're all going to have our favorites. There's really good quality ones. I also think there's a difference between saying there's a good uh, flea product and a good flea allergic product because flea allergies and just flea prevention on a normal dog is, is different. So do realize for the people listening that we're talking about pretty severely allergic pets. So just because we have certain favorites doesn't mean other ones aren't good. Um, do you have particular ones or types of products, if you don't want to be so specific, that you like more than others? And then I can tell you some. Um, I think my favorites have evolved with region, uh, years in the field. So just like circling back to when I worked in the kennel years ago um, as like a teenager, I remember the topicals um, – I feel like the market was changing. You had amitraz dips and lime dips and all that. That was like the only treatment for mites half the time. So that was a very, I don't, I'm not aging myself, but that, that wasn't that long ago, I feel like. And so Frontline was really popular back then. And I feel like uh, as a product, everyone knows Frontline because it's used for so many different things, but Frontline really had the market for a while. And then parasite prevention evolved um, into much more into different categories. So I remember in vet school, Revolution uh, was really popular. And for good reason, Revolution came out and was used in cats and dogs. And I feel like when I was in Florida and Mississippi, using Frontline initially worked and then Revolution maybe worked, but you were almost doing um, as a, as a pre-vet and as a vet student, I was talking to people, my own parents, my friends, myself about like doing rotations of products every two weeks, like a topical every two weeks because they weren't controlling the population. Um, but I wasn't in the thick of that case as a practitioner. I was just thinking, okay, if that product's not working, change it up or add something different. There was probably so many other factors not considered. I think the heavy flea infestations, there's so many factors, which we'll get into, but 
the products have evolved though too. So then we went from the topicals into like, um, what trifexis comfortis, uh, they were a bunch of, I feel like have shifted away now. Um, interceptor sentinel and all those kind of popped in. Um, but I think the last few years coming out of my residency and settling into Durham practice for a while now, um, the isoxazolines for me have made a major difference. Um, prior to the isoxazoline group, Revolution and Advantage Multi were really nice from the standpoint of I knew for safety's sake I could give them every two or three weeks and I was ruling out other ectoparasites or I was at least in that conversation. Um, and then when the isoxazolines hit the market and we've all kind of done some different off-labeling use, but I usually stick to label now and I'm very confident in the, the quick flea kill. Also dealing with a flea allergy patient, um, when we're trying to kill fleas within a couple of hours or a couple of days and really get an infestation under control, you have the itchy patient that has secondary infections and you have to bathe them and you're not mm-hmm. struggling with a topical product. If you can use those products by mouth, you're not struggling with the, should I bathe or should I not? Or what's the time frame of bathing? Cause these patients need some topical care uh, for secondary infection. So the Isaac Saslings I think have changed how we treat ectoparasites tremendously, but the flea kill for those products is within two to six hours, depending on dog or cat and depending on which product you're using. So that's extremely quick. Um, but I will still yield to, um, a broad range ectoparasite prevention like revolution, uh, if I need to, um, avoid a by mouth product or advantage multi. So, I'm kind of on the split with that. Now in this area, I don't know if this is how it is for you in uh, the Northwest, but in the Northeast, everybody in the Midwest, everyone loves Soresto collars. And in the South, I, when I was in vet school and all that, Soresto, I think maybe it was just too new um, for me to recognize it, but there's a lot of Soresto collars around here. And I feel like with flea allergy, they just don't succeed, but I might be seeing a different populace of patients. We'll definitely see. No, no. I mean, I think, I think they can, we, I see some, I, when I get rural populations where they are like, you know, dogs that might be hunting or, um, coming from more like Eastern Oregon or in areas with like ticks and repellency, we will see some Soresto collars. Um, and you know, they have good research behind them. I think for the most part, when I, uh, think of my population, I see being more like in the Portland Metro area, people don't necessarily want collars as much. Um, but it's mostly definitely for us, predominantly oral, uh, in dogs. And so we, I mean, we use sometimes the Brevecto topical in dogs if owners really prefer, but for the most part, I'd agree. I mean, isoxazolines really did change everything for us, um, because of, you know, and when we say isoxazolines, I guess I should preface if people aren't familiar with that term. That's going to be, um, no, it's okay. We throw it around a lot. We're so used to it. Um, that's going to be NexGuard, Brevecto, Cordelio, and Simpirica. And so, well, I guess, and technically Revolution Plus now has Sarah Lawner in it, which is the um, formula from Simpirica, which is for cats. So, and then there's a Brevecto for cats. Just trying to give everyone their time. Um, but ultimately, they're all great. They're all great. I mean, they all have like, you know, they're different um, claims to fame or, you know, 
why you should use the product. But honestly, I truly think all the ISOC Sazlanes are great and effective and, and for the most part, well tolerated. But it has changed the game for us. I mean, I, to be able to say, let's just be in complete control. And, and also if you have a demon decks off labely, like this could be, you know, beneficial and has the literature to, to back it up. Um, I've had a few successful off label uses of scabies with Simperica, um, where I've actually found it. Yeah. So it's nice had, just uh, to say scabies that. patients one each week for the past three or four weeks, every week we're getting, oh yeah. You cured them. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great percentage I for a dermatologist so to cure one thing a week, week. it's that's crazy <laughs> no it's exciting it's very exciting and on the, it, it's yes fleas but yeah on that note you're moving into the different parasite groups um ectoparasites and and it's a game changer for these patients not to be dipped maybe it, and that depends on the situation of course you know there's still use for dips but Man, it is nice to treat <laughs> um, scabies, fleas, demodex, everybody wrapped into one. Uh, ear mites, you know, in some cases. It's like I haven't remembered the last time that I've had to use ivermectin, which is amazing like. <laughs> because, yeah, residency. And I remember, like, I mean, for the most part, it was well tolerated, but, you know, you try to come off, they'd, they'd break out. Um, I had one temporarily go blind uh, from ivermectin. So, and that's just a possible side effect and it reversed when we stopped it. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's just, it truly has those, that class has truly been a game changer and really helpful. So I'd agree. Like I still think Comfortis, Trifexis, those uh, products with fast bees of kill can still be good. It's just nice that now this class of isoxazolines really has that umbrella effect for us that we can feel really comfortable that we're ruling out, you know, again, off labely, but things like I don't like lice and mites. Stop label, but there's. Uh, I was just doing a big thing about isoxazolines. There's a lot of, a lot of uh, practitioners have used them and published some case reports here and there. All different species too, bears and peacocks and. <laughs> well, and honestly, if you go back to Demodex, I mean, ivermectin's off label. I mean, truly, like Amitraz was the only thing on label, and none of us, none of us were using that. So, that's just kind of the hard part sometimes in vet med, and you have to warn them, but the literature is there to support it. Um, I was going to say with oh, like ahead. Capstar is still a product on the market. That's great for fleas, like a quick kill. But when I looked at the, the speed to, you know, speed to kill or yeah. Um, for Brevecto, Nexgard, like all of these, the isoxazolines are within two to four hours and, and Capstar, you know, you get flea kill within two hours, you know, so Capstar is appropriate and very, you know, I think in, in many circumstances, but the great thing is the isoxazoline has that speed that can um, match, you know, and, and uh, then is retained for a month or three months, depending on the isoxazoline that's used. So it's, you know, I don't forget about Capstar. It is used for various you know, things and very important too. So that's a really good point. Yeah. Even though it's only like a day, that's still really good in what it does. And I know still used, especially in like shelter programs and stuff. And yeah, it's important to recognize it's definitely still effective. Uh, in those really tough cases, if like either flea infestation, and I don't think for the most part we deal with like true flea infestation, but do you ever talk to owners about like environmental control within their in their house or suggest that? Is that something been something Absolutely. You've had to I think do? that's a, I think that's a great question that every owner should be asking if they don't bring it up. <clears throat> we at least 
are addressing it from a point of getting all the pets in the house on a prevention. And I don't think just any prevention, I really want to make sure if we can, that everybody's on the same, same prevention for the purpose of like scabies and, and um, contagious other contagious ectoparasites. But um, like for flea infestations, I always reiterate if the entire group of pets can be on a flea prevention, that's your first line of, of, of defense. And, but not just on a flea prevention, but on every month, potentially with an, uh, a reduced interval of dosing, maybe every 21 days, that's circumstantial, I think. But if you dose month to month, all pets in the house, and at least for three doses, I always say at least for three doses, but I think that needs to be a, all year round. That's the conversations that I have. Of course, I always throw out that I'm from Florida and it's hot and there's fleas everywhere. You know, so that's the mentality. I just keep everyone <laughs> on flea prevention all year round. Um, but I think if even if it's cold out, no matter what time of the year, at least three months of control or prevention. But in the environment, they should be considering an exterminator. Um, and you can call around to exterminators that maybe focus on parasitic issues versus, you know, others. I haven't called an exterminator recently myself, but those are questions for that individual. And then I think vacuuming and steam cleaning and doing everything that you can in your environment, washing frequently laid upon bedding. Um, My dog's bed, unfortunately, unless they do something gross on it, it doesn't get thrown in the washer very frequently. And I think people forget their dog's bedding or the cat condo or the little like cube that cats sit in, you know, and lay in and escape, you know, and it's like in the corner nobody remembers that it's there. Um, and so all these little things around the house, washing all of that. And then the conversation about the barn cats usually pops up. <laughs> can you, you know, can you get prevention on the barn cats? And I think every now and then I have more, the owners have more struggle getting the prevention on their own cat then the barn cats, they're like, oh yeah, once a month I get it on all the barn cats, but my own cat hates it, you know? And I don't know how that happens, but um, but talking about the entire, the you know, the radius of exposure, like what else are these animals exposed to? And, you know, if it, like a friend's dog is coming over or they're pet sitting for somebody, like the whole group, <laughs> everybody on flea prevention. I think that's the main part of the argument. That's the toughest part financially sometimes too getting prevention on everybody for three months. Um, Especially like cat owners, if they have, you know, multiple, multiple, uh, like five or six cats and um, or more. It's just, and it's hard. (laughs) No, that's fine. That's totally fine. I've met fantastic cat owners that, you know, they will do it if you say to do it. But yeah, you just have to kind of say, this is the best medicine is prevention and and it takes time people sometimes think i used it for one month but you're right depending on the life cycle of that flea and the storage and what pot like you you can find really scary videos online of the flea life cycle and how they can like the pupae and everything can live like in your carpet and you have to give it time to have the different life stages affected and to get exposed to that prevention by getting on the animal and sometimes it's not as easy as oh it didn't work within the first month i do think i agree with you like you have to give it that time the other thing i find um that's really popular now that people forget about are catios so they'll have like an indoor cat, but then 
actually somehow, yeah, we'll find out that they lay on a catio eight hours of the day. And it's, and I think that's quite lovely and really nice enrichment for a cat. But again, a flea doesn't see a catio and realize it's indoors. And, you know, they, I've had issues with that where the owners all of a sudden a light bulb clicks, like, oh my gosh, they go on this catio and there's slits that are quite large and definitely could let fleas in. So absolutely. Well, and I read as just as like a creepy, uh, yeah, I read this, um, a quick note about how, how gross fleas are. You can have one female lay enough eggs to make 60,000 adults in 60 days' time. Isn't that ridiculous? Oh, my god, That's gosh. disgusting. <laughs> so one one little female, she's a hard worker, um, but she, she can lay like 20 eggs a day, and then it's just boom, boom. Like it just – from that one that one female, you can have so many adults, and it just it happens so fast. Yeah. And people forget, right? Like I can be, I can be terrible. My dog's flea allergic and I can be terrible about my own dog's flea control. Like I'll, I'll forget all the time. And then she'll start chewing her rump and she's got some atopy too. And I'm like, oh, dang it. It's like the fifth of the month, you know, like we all slip up and forget. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, if you lapse the whole month, like could something in the environment be populating? So it's, it's that it can be that specific depending on the environment and the amount of animals in the house and the exposure. Um, what do you do? So a, a question, and I don't, let me preface by saying, I don't think there's a right answer to this. And I've talked to, so we're going to talk about the neurology component. I've talked to lots of neurologists and what I can say is the consensus between neurologists is all over the board. Um, as far as flea control in cases that have a history of seizuring, um, have you had any opinions or cases where you've had, to I had a, um, an older little Maltese, uh, I want to say she was 13, maybe 15, um, no history of seizures, had Demodex. Uh, I think I took a little bit of a risk with a little white dog. Um, but didn't know, you know, uh, off, didn't know at least that there you know, could have, what can you, you can't know everything. So I gave the dog Hemparica for, um, Demodex and, um, of course she had a seizure like the next day. So I've had cases of, uh, that was my only case that I feel like my dosing was related to the seizure. Um, my own dog has had seizures here and there. She's 15, very intermittent, and she has been on isoxazolines of a variety, Stemperica, Nexgard, Perfecto, and none of them, uh, none of the seizures occurred to follow um, dosing. And but I have since chosen to stop dosing her with isoxazolines just in case. Uh, and then I've had a couple of patients that have had a history of seizures, and the owners are aware of the side effect possibility, and they take the risk. We talk about they take the risk, and the dogs have been fine. Um, and so it, when I was doing my research for a lecture, I was going through, just like you were saying, like talking to neurologists, looking through the case reports, looking through all of the uh, fact sheets, product sheets for all the products. And um, there were there were patients or there were um, animals in the studies that cats and dogs that had seizures without any history, you know, and um, they weren't continuous seizures, um, but and, and it wasn't necessarily... I'd have to look back and see if it was repeatable, if they did repeat it, uh, dosing to see. But I, I, I absolutely exercise caution, and I always ask clients about the seizure history when we're prescribing. Um, 
And every client, you know, they're very smart too. Everybody has access to the internet and everyone's asking the questions, you know, and they're saying, well, I don't want to do a product by mouth because what if, or what are the side effects? So I have clients that are asking more questions than they used to as well, um, which is good because it's our time to educate them, you know, and, and go over the side effects. You know, it's really easy to prescribe, but it's more difficult to explain side effects and really make sure a client understands. And that's what I feel like we really do well. Uh, and our technicians are trained to do. Yeah. And I, and I don't think, like I said, that there's a hard answer on this, even on the numerous neurologists I've talked to, everyone has a different opinion, a different sensitivity. I've had some that I've had one say like no oral products in general, but you know, to me, I'm like, I don't know if that makes sense. They're all different mechanisms. Um, I've had some where certain products they're okay with. Um, I've had plenty of dogs that I concurrently treat, like they've been on fleet control for years. They, or they're epileptic their whole life. And there's never, they've always been on some form of isoxazoline or any fleet control. Um, so I agree. I, there's no, I think hard and steadfast rule. And I don't think there's one fleet control. You can say there's no way they'll have seizures. Like just based on the mechanism of these products, like, yes, we are hoping to only channel, you know, the, the flea neurologic system and not the mammalian neurologic system. And they have really good support with that. But, you know, I mean, anything can cause an issue or reaction. So if the pet is concurrently seeing a neurologist, then I always talk to them. Um, cause I've had some where it's like, they don't want to do it cause they're so nervous to use something, but yet the dog comes in and they're uncomfortable and chewing themselves apart. And it's clear they have flea allergy or I find fleas. And I'm like, well, I don't feel like that's good for your seizure threshold either. So that's just a conversation. If they have a neurologist, I kind of talk to the owner where just like you said, lay it all out and just say, yeah, there, you know, there's some, there's some studies showing it for any product and we just have to kind of talk through it and see what you feel comfortable with. And yeah, anything you start that's new or different, we definitely need to be monitoring for any increase in things, but I don't think it's a reason to necessarily shy away. Um, because I have seen it make a big difference in even those seizure patients, as far as just their comfort level, when we do address it and the owners kind of well, understand. I had a client today that said she was concerned about starting the Soresto collar again for her dog or any topical because her um, granddaughter was about one year old and was like all over the dog. And I said, well, I, I can't speak to the pediatrician recommendation, but I said, if you're nervous about a topical product on your dog, there's the alternative of the oral preventions. And she was a little nervous about flea prevention in general, but she wanted to do do right by her pet. So we were talking about like the human effect of contacting the products, you know, that are topical. And, you know, I'm like, well, all these products essentially should be for a flea or a parasite, you know, uh, and should not affect us. But, you know, it's like anything, like you said, an animal can be sensitive and a person contacting a product could be sensitive too, you know? So just it's, it's that conversation, having the open conversation with the client. Totally. The last thing I want to ask you about, because this is commonly asked like on social media or um, in lectures or even to owners, uh, diet trials. So I actually got uh, our good friend Casey's opinion on this when I talked to her about food allergy. But the question of now that we are shifting to a lot more oral products for flea control, which I would say over 90% of my patients, because I'm a frequent bather with my patients, are on oral. 
what do you, what does it look like for you in knowing all of us are completely different in how we handle that? So they're going to be on some sort of flavored heartworm or flea control prevention. Do you care? Do you not care? How do you, how do you um, manage that? The conversation absolutely includes caring about anything that goes in their mouth. Um, so toys, treats, every, you know, everything's on the table. And then I think um, sometimes we remember the items. We're like, hey, flavored heart guard. And they're like, oh, yeah. You know, so I always explain that these products, for the most part, by mouth products are once a month, unless something had changed or they accidentally gave it more for some reason. But um, it, in a food trial, maybe the once a month, maybe wouldn't be a big issue. However, when we're really dealing with these tough tough cases and a, a really sensitive animal gets a hold of a flavored chew, uh, beef flavored or pork flavored or whatever it might be, you know, and we have a hiccup in the food trial, you know, if we can't, if we can't isolate everything, if we can't get away everything, we're going to start questioning anything. And so the heart guard, absolutely. You know, if I can change the heartworm preventions, if the owners take the advice, you know, the recommendation, we go to non-flavored prevention, heartworm, non-flavored, thank goodness, came back out. If not, uh, Revolution or Advantage Multi uh, for dogs at least has a label for heartworms. I can't speak to the effect in every part of the country, but um, it's labeled. <laughs> and then <laughs> I think there's some debate in different regions. But um, otherwise, with flea prevention, on that note, of course, you can go to topical, but I bathe everything just like you do. We are bathing everything a lot. Um, so I like to now, especially during food trials, go to Brevecto. If I can change the oral prevention, um, even NexGuard, uh, Sentinel, you know, Cordelio, any of those, if I can change it to just once during the three months of the food trial, I'm going to Brevecto. I, I love the option of one, one time flavor at the beginning when the food trial is not really going to show effect in that first, you know, couple days to week or so. And then it's effectively prevention the entire time. Um, I love it. That's, that's hands down perfect. But I've had some owners that are a little uh, cost, you know, cost or whatever will come up and they don't want to change or they just bought a new box of NexGuard or something. The, when you talk to the companies, they will say these are hydrolyzed products. Um, I want to believe that what is in the product won't interfere with my food trial. Um, I try to look at the entire patient's response through the whole food trial. And um, most of the time, if I have to have NexGuard or something, some Purica on board during the food trial, I'd rather have that than the flavored HeartGuard um, because of what the companies will describe. The, the actual flavoring is not a meat protein or, you know, it's hydrolyzed, but the long and short answer is I like Brevecto for <laughs> flea prevention, ectoparasite prevention, if I can get away with it for the food trials for dogs. That's okay to have a long answer. Derm <laughs> is long. <laughs> Our conversations with owners are long. There's never a clear cut answer. And I think we all have our preferences, but what we learned doing this long enough. And now I think we're, you and I are to the point where we can say like, we've been doing this long enough. Um, you, you really develop like your own, opinion of what you want, but you also realize that so many factors come in that you can't always, you will never have the exact same protocol for everybody. So I, yeah, I tend to be a Brevecto user like you. If, um, if I'm really 
concerned. Like we have, you know, have to rule this out now. It's a young, well, I guess you, you can't use Brevecto if they're under six months with the size change and stuff. But if it's a younger dog and they're within label, then I'll use that. But I have, I recently had one and uh, Casey mentioned like she doesn't mind as much because she just has them really look for that flare. And I've had that recently where someone had just bought something and they had a big dog and buying the hydrolyzed food is going to be really expensive. And, you know, that was a concern to buy a whole nother three months flea prevention. So I said, okay, like go ahead and, and stay on it. But I just really, really, you know, give it towards the beginning. They were due anyway. And then I really, really need your eyes looking and this dog had GI signs, so that was helpful too, because GI signs will usually show up quicker um, or resolve quicker uh, in the diet trial. So I said, just really, really watch and, and log for me when you give that, that if you're strict on everything else and we're better and like our soft stools are better and then we give that and there's all of a sudden an issue, like we have to recognize that. So yeah, I think we all have our preferences, but we can't force clients to do everything we want, unfortunately. So yeah, you have to have that flexibility. I feel like practicing dermatology. Yeah. Especially. And I tell people there's no one, there's no one way, there's no one recommendation. There's no one formatted lecture that teaches us all we need to know. It really is case by case. And dermatologists, I think have it, we all, I think it's the cliche. We've all heard it. It's more artistic than scientific sometimes, or it feels like it. You have to really cater to the individual patient, the client, um, and, and all the circumstances, you know, that go with that. And I think we are extremely flexible clinicians. Uh, and I think general practitioners, um, when, what they go through with the clients and the history that they provide shows us even before the patient comes in, how flexible we need to be, or, you know, are going to, uh, are going to end up being with each patient because there's things that we want to try that they've already tried, you know? <laughs> so we're like, okay, well that didn't work. So, you know, and so it's, it's, yeah, every case is so different. I think we learn from every single case that walks in and we hopefully get better for each new case coming. So. Yeah. And I think, uh, that, that is, <sighs> The hard part for some people, but the part that a lot of us love is there's only so many tools in our toolbox really compared to other things. And, you know, we deal with lots of things, but obviously allergies are a predominant thing that we manage and they're all so different, which to me is really fun and cool because I get to work with the client and, and yes, it can be frustrating, but I get to work with the client and see what are you capable of? What can you realistically do at home? What's your expectation? You know, what are we trying to accomplish together here? I would not find it as fun if I just said, oh, every out of P case, here's the four things I'm doing. One, you're going to have pets not respond to that. Two, you're going to have clients not respond to that because they're not going to want to do, you know, some say there's no way you're doing flea control. So you have to work around that. Like we all have those difficult things we have to, to navigate through. But that's what kind of makes it fun is that it's really, it's, I could see, I, last week I had the, I had two cats in a row. One wants to do everything, allergy testing and it's a food trial. We're doing it all. And then the next one, like really, um, it wasn't in the wheelhouse to really do much of anything. So then it was, okay, what can we do to provide quality of life for your pet? Knowing that we cannot do everything. So it's kind of what makes our day challenging and fun. I will use the food trial as an opportunity to start a flea prevention trial if they have not been on it. Um, because I don't, I don't think the food trial is a magical 
you know, within a few weeks cure, as we all know, it does take more time than I think we used to, um, you know, use it for, but the flea prevention trial at the beginning, you know, and then the food at the, it's a, it's a, we get clever in our conversations. I feel like every time every patient, uh, gets us, uh, it teaches us, but it also, um, it, it helps our conversation for the next, you know? So, I'm like, okay, well, let's do this food trial. But at the beginning of the food trial, we really need to make sure that fleas are not a part of the problem just in case. You know, they're like, oh, okay. And, and all of a sudden the conversation shifts because I'm not focusing on just parasites. I'm focusing on the allergy and the parasite. And they're like, oh, okay, okay, we can, now we can talk about fleas again, you know? <laughs> so it really is the conversation with every client is very different. And and um, you just mold, you know, yourself with them. So Experience, new products come out. It just makes it way more fun and interesting. Well, I want to thank you so much for giving up um, your, oh my gosh, what day is it? Tuesday? We're recording this Tuesday evening. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Where are we? Who are we? What's going on? Um, but I appreciate you carving out the time, especially with us being on opposite ends of the country and having the time difference. Um, I'm so glad we finally made this work and just thank you yeah, for being honest and open and, and really sharing with the listeners um, your view of flea allergy. I learned a lot. Um, yeah, I learned a lot from sometime. you. I think we all need to listen to each other more often, too. We learn so much from our, each other's experiences. So I love sharing. This has been great. Thank you. Yeah, that that's a mic drop <laughs> moment. We'll end on that. Collaboration and learning from each other is the most important Absolutely. part of the veterinary Empower medicine. Each other, so. <laughs> yeah. fun interview. I really had a blast talking to Ashley about flea allergy. You might not think that that should be a really fun topic, but we had a really good time with it. And Ashley was so sweet to send me a message afterwards saying how much fun she had and just loved learning and collaborating with each other. And that's all I've ever wanted from the podcast and all the derm vet stuff is to really get all the other dermatologists and other really great general practitioners on uh, to really just discuss and learn from each other because that's ultimately what veterinary medicine is all about. So I hope you guys keep enjoying the podcast with past and future episodes. And always remember, if you're enjoying it, that rating it and leaving reviews really helps us to reach more people together. So now, until next time, um, I really hope that you guys continue to love dermatology as much as me and collaborating with others.